Another confusion that arises from the ancient notion of the permanence of identity and therefore the persistence of the self gives rise to expressions that we hear sometimes such as it's my life and I can do what I like with it. Well, I'm not quite sure who this my is, but at a purely empirical level, it's manifestly not true. We do not choose to be born, and into whatever circumstances we are born, we have no control over and therefore can derive no benefit from in the sense of treating them as though we had deserved them. And to the extent that we make something of the intellectual and physical material that the world supplies us with during our formative years, our early education, and indeed throughout our lives, it's manifestly not true that we are independent of the rest of the world. Indeed, our lives are utterly dependent upon other people as our experience during the pandemic and indeed in this ghastly war make only too obvious. So, it's my life and I can do what I like with it, is a very peculiar view which seems to suggest that we choose selectively to ignore the, the extent to which we are interdependent. And to be interdependent, to be mutually dependent, or to be characterized by mutual aid, is our persistent and permanent position. Even someone who is a hermit, and who manages to live by gathering fruits and berries, is not entirely independent of the rest of the world, still had to be born, still had to be raised, still had to be brought up to be whatever he or she has become. So, it's my life and I can do what I like with it, is indicative of a misconception of the way in which we are to understand ourselves. That means that we have responsibilities beyond ourselves, because if we do not nurture and cherish those upon whom we depend in our interdependence and give them something of ourselves in return for what they probably unknowingly in most cases have given us then we are breaking the network of relationships that constitutes our humanity and so one of the conceptions i suppose you'd call it which should affect the way we live does at times give rise to views such as is my life worth more than the lives that I can affect is my life worth more than the lives that I might be able to save and people who are in the armed forces regularly give their lives up not I think out of any great sense of patriotism but certainly, as those who fought in wars will tell you, for their immediate fellows in their platoon, those around them who they fight for because they know that their survival depends upon it. So that microcosm of interdependence, of being ready to lay down one's life for one's friends, so to speak, 
is indicative of the falsehood of the premise, it's my life and I can do what I like with it. Well, of course, somebody may say, if you choose to lay your life down, you are choosing what to do with it, and that would be perfectly fair comment. But as a whole, the world depends upon our interdependence, upon our willingness to see ourselves in the light of what we are and what we do for other people and what we receive from them. Unfortunately, the way the world has developed, and particularly the cult of leadership, the cult of celebrity and everything that goes with both of them, which of course is just as typical of people who want to believe in something bigger than themselves and believe in a football team or a cricket team or some competitor in some tennis tournament or whoever it may be, where we somehow make our significance dependent upon other people's significance. There is a paradox in this, in that at one level, this is an entirely appropriate sense of our togetherness. But in as much as we try to live entirely through other people, it is a false sense of our togetherness. It's my life and I can do what I like with it. It certainly gives rise to all sorts of misconceptions and sometimes even to the notion that my life should be saved no matter what happens to the world. I think perhaps the way I presented that isn't as clear as it might have been. So let me have another go. Consider, for example, our relationship with a professional football team. I don't think that there is anything reprehensible at all, indeed quite a lot to praise, in people who enjoy watching people who are far better at a game than they are play it to the very highest standards. The same could be said for professional musicians or artists or anything you like. So they enrich our lives by doing what they can do very well, very well. And that's absolutely fine. But it all starts to go a bit wrong when we start to get so bound up with the fortunes of our chosen team or our chosen player or even perversely our chosen musicians that we are prepared, as you might say, to go into battle on their behalf off the pitch or out of the concert hall uh, as if somehow life itself depends on it. And for some people, of course, life itself does depend on it. For your football team to lose, for your cricket team to lose, for your chosen competitor not to win the singer of the year or the piano competition is a devastating blow to you. And that makes no sense at all. It may make some passing sense in the sense that it means perhaps that your assessment or judgment of their performances isn't as good as it might be but in as much as we all make these judgments about what we like and what we don't like nothing much hangs on whether we're right if i like a musician or if i like a football team i can go on supporting them and listening to them through thick and thin even though many people tell me that I have terrible taste or that my team are never going to win anything. That's my choice, and that's one of the things that we all do. It's a little part of our tribalism. But to go further than that is to step into the realms where 
tribalism starts to become conflict-ridden and ultimately destructive. And when it does so, it means that we've invested too much of ourselves in them. So let's be clear that there is a positive sense in which we are a member of a team or a supporter of a team. And there is also a negative sense. And the negative sense is well exemplified when somebody as wise otherwise as Sir Isaiah Berlin starts talking about things that matter more than life itself. There are things that matter more than life itself. We'll come back to perhaps a discussion separately of what they are elsewhere in a later episode. But most of the things that people think are matter, matter more than life itself really don't. And the fortunes of your professional football, cricket or other team, of your favourite tennis player, of your favourite pianist or singer or violinist or whoever who come into that category. If we start thinking that something hinges on this more than merely a, an arbitrary decision about an arbitrary performance on an arbitrary occasion, then we've got something quite seriously wrong. And I can't resist reminding you that a long time ago, so long ago that I can't quite remember when we talked about it, I made the point that our human obsession with ranking things on single dimensions, single scales, and believing that it's, it's even an intelligible question to say who's the best tennis player in the world, or who's the best pianist in the world, or who's the best composer in the world, or who, what is the best football team in the world, these are all arbitrary decisions based upon arbitrary measures that place things on single scales that can really only properly be appreciated on multiple dimensions. And our standards and assumptions should reflect that fact.